1: Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and today I'm joined by Congresswoman Colleen Hanabusa, who is currently running as a Democrat for Governor of Hawaii. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Congresswoman.
2: No, thank you, Jordan, for having me. Of course. Now,
1: could you tell us what made you decide to run for governor instead of seeking another term in the House of Representatives?
2: You're, you're being very nice. A lot of people have told me, why when you have a safe seat, <laughs> and I don't think any, sa- any seat is ever safe, would you risk it all to, uh, to run for governor? Some say that's not a very smart thing to do. I'm doing it because it just means a lot to me. I just feel that Hawaii has just been kind of rudderless. There's no vision for the future. And the thing that bothers me the most is, you know, um, when I was Senate President in 2008, I thought we started a great initiative. It was called Sustainability 2050. And one of the things that just motivated me or I carry deep with me is at that time, 10 years ago, we had seniors who were going off to what we call mainland colleges uh, from Hawaii, and we asked them one question, which is, how many of you will return to Hawaii. We did not have one hand go up. And that's always been problematic to me, that we would not have one of them. So when we asked them the simple question, why, the responses were, we did not believe that Hawaii has a place for us. Or more importantly than that, someone said, you know, we're looking for a certain kind of job, and we're looking to be able to have our own place, housing. And we don't see that ever being available. So it was a sense of not a choice, but almost like because we haven't planned well, we government have not planned well. We're eliminating that generation that we're hoping to have continue that which makes Hawaii a very special place. And I know everybody believes where they come from is very special. But I've got to tell you, Hawaii is very unique and it is very special. And it's the people that make them. So if our next generations do not feel that they have a place to belong or a sense of place, we have absolutely failed and we won't have the Hawaii that so many of us love. That's the reason I'm coming back. Because I want to ensure that we stop this, this trend and we, I want to have a, a state where the next generation feels like they have a place and they have a stake in it. They're going to participate and have a place to define its future.
1: So with that, recently you made a very interesting pledge to establish executive cabinet representation for millennials. Could you tell us more about
2: that? I'll be perfectly candid. Millennials scared me in the beginning because, Jordan, I I just didn't understand. And I think the worst part of not understanding is that, you know, you have in your mind what you think they want. And through this political journey that I've now had, and, you know, as a member of Congress, with the exception of my chief of staff, everyone else is a millennial. And, you know, we've worked through things like um, why don't you speak to each other? Why do you text? You know, things like that that are just something that we or my generation doesn't understand. And then what I learned is that as I sat and talked to them and found out what motivated them, what were their, you know, how do they want to live? What's important to them in terms of, you know, lifestyle? And it became evident to me that they're no longer something that I, I feared because I didn't understand. And my fear was one of failure, that I would, no matter what I did or what role I played in government, I would fail because this is the generation that I'm concerned about, because they represent the future, but I don't understand them. So that was the fear. I have come to the completely opposite conclusion now, that you know what? The millennials are truly the future, And they're going to teach us. We have to listen. Or else when we finally figure out what we think they want, it's going to be too late. We would have lost it. So that's the reason why I said, you know, every decision that is made in government, if I'm elected governor and we have cabinet meetings of all the traditional cabinets, and, you know, I kind of like to rethink the structure of government that's been in our Constitution since its inception, What I'd like to do, though, is make sure that they have a voice, their voice and what we call kapunas in Hawaiian, which are our seniors. Those are the two groups that I feel we always, we in politics, always talk about, and yet we don't spend enough time listening. So I said, Joe, they should both be there so that every decision that is made I'm hoping, would have the value of their knowledge and their input and their perspective. Because, you know, how can we say we're we're creating a Hawaii for, for the next generation and we don't even have someone in the next generation giving us input. Like I told people, when a, in Washington D.C., I live in a transit-oriented development. And I did it because I wanted to know, one, what a well-done transit-oriented development is like. But I also wanted to know how they were building for the next generation. A lot of millennials like what what I call Tokyo-style condos. They're smaller. They don't need all the trappings. And one of the conversations that I had with someone that was really, really just so enlightening was the fact that, you know, it's not many of us think of in terms of uh, affordable housing. It's, it truly is housing affordability. In other words, they just want a portion of their income to be used for housing. They don't want to be driven by a house and all these trappings. It is, it is a place to live, a place to be. But it's not something that's going to drive them. So the point that, you know, you triple mortgage or you do whatever it is, it is it is what it is. And so these kinds of discussions to me are so critical for the future. We have to understand that. And if we don't understand that, we're just going to do what we say in Hawaii. We have a saying called, same old, same old. Just status quo, and we wonder why. We have a, a, a group of totally disenchanted future generations.
1: I think that's all absolutely correct. Now, I'd like to talk a little more about the specific issues that are relevant to millennials. Polls have shown that the minimum wage is one of the top concerns of voters in your state, especially young voters, along with affordable housing and homelessness. All three of those are very much interconnected. Now, in 2016, the state estimated that the cost of living is at $15.79 Fifteen seventy nine per hour for a single adult on Oahu alone. Do you support raising the minimum wage? And if so, to how much?
2: You know, Jordan, that's an interesting uh, issue. When I was in the Hawaii State Senate, I was the one who introduced living wage. And living wage to me is different from minimum wage. So when you define minimum wage as $15.70, and that would be uh, for a family of four, uh, and and you're absolutely correct. It's on the island of Oahu and in Honolulu. That's what they're they're considering to be technically the living wage. That same amount is not there. Maybe higher in some, believe it or not, in another island. It may be lower, but the living wage to me is a better indicator. And I've always been an an advocate of the living wage because the problem with just a blanket minimum wage, by the way i I support the fifteen dollar minimum, but the problem with it to me is that we're going to have the same kinds of discussions, and we're going they're going to end up compromising along the way when in fact, what we should be doing is we should be looking at okay, for this standard of living, what is it that we need? One of the most important things, for example, in Hawaii, though it, uh, it didn't poll because we're we're kind of spoiled here because of the kind of health care we have, is healthcare costs. So as health care costs rise, and even if you have an up in minimum wage, it's not gonna it's not gonna compensate and make sure that you have that standard of living. So without a doubt, I believe in that, but I believe more in a living wage which really measures what it takes to have that. That uh, sustainable lifestyle in Hawaii. The issue, you're right. Uh, housing has always been an issue, and I, we had we kind of touched upon it before. And housing, the problem is that when we talk about housing, I think we're we're not quote slicing it enough. For example, the elderly kupuna, their kind of housing that they need is, in my opinion, different than the generations that are the baby boomers. Baby boomers who are now getting to the Kapuna stage, they tend or we tend to like uh, houses. We think that that's the way people want to live. And because of that, and because most of the baby boomers are the ones making decisions, when they look at how to build affordable housing, they are looking at, a lot of them are looking at suburban, type of development, houses, four-bedroom houses, two-car garage, so forth. Where I actually believe that what we need to do is we need to prioritize, so we need to take care of our kapunas who may not necessarily be buying units, but they want a community sense. They want to be able to live where they can just go with the elevator, go down, go shopping. It would be great if they could have all their medical needs met. I mean, that's what we want to see. I believe that the millennial generation also is looking for more of a place, a community sense. In other words, it is like where I live in Washington, D.C. It's amazing on a a weekend to see all of them. And it's what's part of our transit-oriented development is, yes, you have hotels, you have apartments, you have all the places you want to eat, you have entertainment all within a complete walking distance. And where I live is right across the park, a wonderful park. All these things define a place. It defines a community. So I asked them. I asked some of my millennials, I said, does it bother you that you can't have a parking stall? And they all looked at me and kind of laughed They said, we don't want a parking stall. We have share, ride sharing. Everything that is doing, it's a shared community, right? If we want a car, we're a ride share. We walk one block to the metro station and we can go almost everywhere we want. Or we want to do bike share, we do bike share. And it's really fascinating to me. But when you step back and you think about it, you realize that affordable housing, just to say affordable housing, is not sufficient. We have to define it. And, of course, you will have people who want to have a larger unit or a house, and they want that to be affordable. But these are things that, that as government, we have to look at and we have to prioritize. Private sector, if if there's money to be made, the private sector developers will take care of that. But running for governor, my question to myself always is, what is the role of government, and what is it that government can do and government, to me, has a strong obligation to take care of our elderly. You know, the federal government has a strong obligation to take care of our veterans. And remember, President Obama said by the year 26, there would be no homeless vet. And and then you have all the different, the homeless situation, which is something that everyone says, well, statistically, uh, we haven't grown. But we're still the largest per capita for our size with homeless population, and that's because, again, we as government have tended to to basically put everyone in one category, and that's not true. I think homeless, and the way we are going to have to battle this, we're going to have to prioritize again. We're going to have to say, look, this is the homeless population, Who do we need to put all our efforts in first to get them off the streets? And it is, of course, families with children. They're the ones you want to get off the streets first. So we need to have those kinds of housing opportunities, transitional housing. But we also need the ability for them to move into something more stable. So there are, and the way we, we address this is government can't do it alone. Matter of government doesn't do a good job on a lot of these things. But we have a very strong um, nonprofit organization. They call themselves the Hawaii Community Foundation. And they have a program called Functional Zero. They're going to get families off the street to the, their definition of a functional zero. And you know, when you think about that, and you think about how we can address that, Those are the things we're going to have to do. But let's not fool ourselves. We do have a part of the population that people refer to as chronics. They are people who do not want to be sheltered, do not want rules, and many of them have other challenges like mental illness or some of them have drug and alcohol abuse issues. That's a group that we are, the legislature just passed a legislation called Ohana Zones or Safe Zones. We are going to have to encourage that. In other words, those are entities that will have wraparound services for them so that they can hopefully break out of this whole syndrome of being wanting to remain as a homeless person because they don't want to play by anyone else's rules but to give them a sense of hope and a sense that they can improve. So that's also, as we look, because, you know, this problem has been around forever, in a way. Not forever, but since at least 2006. And what I am most concerned about, Jordan, is that as government sweeps, which is what seems to be the answer, they sweep a particular area, they move them out, they break down their tents, and so forth, and so on. They just move somewhere else, and then they wait and they come back. So we have this this situation. There was an incident on the what we call the the Hawaii Island where they knew they had to get rid of a particular area they called them the tunnels, but because of the state's intervention, they couldn't and and the family of a of a young woman who was a model. Uh, who got hooked on heroin and they found her dead there, and they said they should have been cleaned up a long time ago, but government the government intervened and said no so you know we can 't have those kinds of situations we have to we have to take those steps that address the particular needs of that particular group and realize the measure of success in doing this is first we get Single mothers with children off the street. we have families off the street. Then we start to look at people who want to then move off the street, and then we're going to have to deal with those who, no matter what we say or do or what we may offer, don't want it because they have other challenges. And this is how we need to proceed. I think we've just you know been looking at numbers. And that's not the solution. Looking at numbers and saying, oh, you know, we've reduced homelessness two years in a row. That's not the answer. The answer is, how. what is the permanent solution for these groups of people? What is it that's the, the word is, you know, I used to use it a lot before. You know, what is the cause, the ideology of this, this situation? And we've got we to gotta be smart and address that or we're just going to be like what they're doing now, sweeping them from one area to another area, and they come back. And people are wondering, why are they back again? We can't have that.
1: Another top issue, according to polling, the top issue right now in our country is immigration. In 2014, the Pew Research Center estimated that there are about 45,000 undocumented Americans living in your state. As I'm sure you know, recently there has been a proposal to stop classifying immigrants as a national security threat. In terms of making your state a sanctuary state, would you support efforts to remove immigration agencies from the Department of Home? Homeland Security, and perhaps move them instead back to the Department of Justice, where they were until 2003.
2: You know, I think that that the it is all in the definition of of how we view the whole immigration issue. Like I, I like the fact that you use the word undocumented as opposed to illegal, which is what the, my colleagues across the aisle tend to do, uh, and. And and you are correct. We need to move it and we need to, it's almost like decriminalizing it because that's what we've we've had recently through ICE. It's a criminalization of, of people who should not be criminalized. I think that the other thing that we as a society, and and I'm hoping that it will be done through, through efforts of justice uh, or wherever they may land, is the whole issue of DACA and uh, those who are are here through no fault of their own and i and i do know that there's a tension and may and that's probably why justice may be a good place for it to be because remember this all is a matter of our laws our immigration laws and what can and cannot be done in terms of executive orders and so forth but one of the things that i think we need to to recognize is we have an obligation i believe to those who have who are here to no fault of their own, and the fact that we have, we meaning the the United States, has benefited from them. You know, people have done studies, and I'm sure you're aware of it, that Social Security has a huge number of people who have contributed who will not be able to collect because they are undocumented. So, the the society has benefited and we tend to look the other way because they provide services that many of our own people our own citizens don't want to do and then to turn our back on them after that is just uh, to me unconscionable so yes we need to to change the paradigm we need a total paradigm shift on this and we need to recognize that they are major assets to our community i i was in a um I was watching once, uh, and it was uh, uh, a conference. Uh, it was co-hosted co- between the Daniel K. Noe Institute and the um, uh, Library of Congress, and they had, because Daniel K. Noe was was uh, known for his bipartisanship, so they had Madeline Albright and Colin Powell. And to my surprise, Colin Powell's whole evening, his whole thing that he was saying, was how important it was for countries to remain great to recognize that it is the immigrants what will actually turn things around. And he was advising China, he was advising Japan, and he was advising the United States. And he made a statement, if I recall correctly, about his own party, not recognizing the value of the people. And how we are able to make advancements because of the immigrants, so I think that the the paradigm has to be redefined, but the most important thing is that they have people have got to those who oppose the undocumented have got to start to look at them as people, and I think that's the problem. they're not being viewed as people, they're being viewed as threats, and they're not threats. There are people who will help us build a better country.
0: I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us.
2: And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown.
0: Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. Now, I'd like to also bring up health
1: care. Right now, the system that most Democrats and actually a majority of independents and all Americans overall support is a single-payer system. Almost a decade ago, the Hawaii state legislature passed a single-payer health care bill, but it was not implemented by the Republican governor. Would you like to implement this system as governor?
2: I was there when we passed it. <laughs> and, and you know, it it is. It was a... You know, there was a woman, uh, she's, now, she's now left us. Her name was, uh, we used to call her A.Q. Makarath. And if anyone is interested in seeing a pioneer of all rights, uh, it was A.Q. A.Q. was the one who was in my office all the time telling me we needed a single-payer system. And, of course, in addition to that, she was an advocate of, the uni- of a universal, universal health care. And, yes, the single-payer system, to me, is, is, a, is an important structure. Hawaii is unique, as you probably know, in that our health care, in my opinion, is the best in the nation. And the, if there's ever been a tug on what we do in Hawaii, it's how do we keep what we call our prepaid health care, with everything else. So I've always told people the differences in what I see with single-payer and some of these other programs is not how you pay. The difference with Hawaii's situation is who pays. Because if you look at our prepaid health, if you're employed and you work 20 hours, most of your health care costs, your personal health care costs, is going to be paid by your employer. And this by the way, was the essence of um, initially of uh, uh, what was called Hillary care under President Clinton. And the reason why it wouldn't pass is, of course, because of who paid. So I am all for the health care system that would result with maintaining low premiums for the people and providing quality health care. As you know, our our premiums in Hawaii Though we think it's, they're very high, we're probably one of the lowest in the nation, and, we, and it provides for us one of the best health care programs available. And that's time and time again what Hawaii has always been known for. So when we have argued in the Congress of the United States about the attacks on, on quote, Obamacare or the ACA, what everyone always caveats that conversation with me is "Colleen, we understand Hawaii is not in the same place with everyone else, but we need to do a, a unified front for everyone. And, and I am all for that, and I am all for supporting all these different efforts, whether it's universal or it's single-payer. Um, the only thing that I I guard very um, jealously, so to speak, is, is our prepaid. That is something that I I guard uh, all the time, because I think for the working men and women, who pays is, is very critical for their lifestyle. And then $15 or whatever the livable wage is, becomes a lot more realistic and a lot more doable because of the fact that prepaid exists.
1: So back in March, one of your state's U.S. senators, Brian Schatz, introduced a bill that aims to make public college debt-free. The big difference between his plan and previous proposals from, say, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton is that he wants to do more than make college tuition-free. He wants to ensure that all Americans can graduate college without any debt, whether that be from housing or food or books. Would you support a plan like this in your state?
2: You know, I would, uh, I would of course, uh, support that. And you know, we have worked uh, very well together the uh, The only issue that we are all going to be faced with is how do we pay for it and that's and it's always comes down to that, right? How do we pay for it? I think the the concepts are ones that i can 't imagine anybody not agreeing to that it's, you know if you have a child who 's going through college, of course you want that child to be debt free when when uh, he or she is done, and i 'm sure that um, Everyone would love to see that happen. So I would um, pledge to to make sure that this is a conversation that continues, and that's why we have, um, I want to have millennials, because they can explain what is and how, what the kinds of debts are incurred, how, what would work the best. One of the, the issues is probably going to be, and we're going to have to address this in Hawaii in particular, is how to make public education in terms of the I mean, the higher education available to all and and free to all who want to, who want to actually uh, take advantage of it. That to me is is a different situation than than, for example, private college. So we have to start with that which we can have a handle on. And one of the things about education in Hawaii that people do not uh, realize unless you're here is that we have a very strong culture of private schools so that about 30 something percent of the of the people graduate from i mean attend private schools in the in the secondary education and basically k to 12 they're in private schools in Hawaii statewide we're maybe 20 something percent so you can imagine how the difficult the, the, the uh, discussion becomes because there's always uh, uh, an indication that maybe what we need to do is somehow voucher education. And I am not an advocate of vouchering, vouchering education in Hawaii because it would just mean that the people would use it for private school education. And what I do want to see, however, is education that's available to all. And we have this just a certain amount of resources. But it is something that I'm, I look forward to working with Brian on and see how he envisioned it. My guess is he was probably talking about uh, making university or community college education available uh, at no cost in Hawaii.
1: Okay, great. Well. Thank you so much, Congresswoman, for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Jordan, for having me. I, uh, and I am very serious about the important role that millennials uh, do play because they are teaching me, and hopefully will teach the rest of the state, a different value system. And, you know, it is only when we have that shift in that paradigm that we are actually going to be able to make sense of rising costs, and make sense of what is quality of life. Anytime I have an opportunity to have these discussions with millennials, I truly appreciate it. So thank you so much, Jordan.
1: Of course. And we hope to have you on again when you are
2: governor. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. I look forward to that very much. Thank you. And, I can, and you can have my millennial representative, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is great to hear. Now, to our listeners, make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, support us through our Patreon, and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.